got a story to tell, you know that I cherish these. Hope it ain't too many feelings involved. We are rested. We are refreshed. We are back fresh off the bye week, the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz. He's Tyler Donahue here in the flesh uh, instead of on Skype, which I know a lot of you appreciate. Uh, bye week for Penn State. Obviously, you know, game to talk about last week. So we're coming at you to talk Michigan State. We're going to talk some recruiting. We're going to talk some Michigan State against Penn State recruiting. We're going to talk a lot. We're also going to talk about the bye week because, you know, I've, I realize, and, and much to my wife's chagrin, that bye week just means me watching football in a different spot and watching a team that's not Penn State. Uh, I took the family to Delaware this weekend. Of course, ended up watching Texas, Oklahoma. Uh, followed the Colorado game on my phone because the Pac-10 network, I'm not sure, exists. And then, you know, a little bit later, had some some night games and, and everything like that. It's crazy how much this consumes us. And, and I really wasn't even interested. Just sitting there watching football, it's almost – Therapeutic, you know, just in the fall. I guess that's kind of what you got to do. And that's what we heard a lot of these Penn State players. You think maybe they'd want to just steer clear of football for a weekend? Nope. They were parked, in, you know, in front of their TVs, whether they're in the dorms. Many of them went back to their hometowns for a couple of days. Trace McSorley said he took a little nap watching some football on Saturday, which was a nice change of pace. And and as you know, like you, I went out of town and, and recharged the batteries. And here we are in seven straight Big Ten games ahead of us. But, boy, were those – Penn State coach is busy during the bye week, as I, as I know we'll get to in the – Yeah, man. A lot of miles for the Penn State coaches this week – or excuse me, last week while, while they're away. Started off – James Franklin went to Ohio to see Zach Harrison, and then they get back for a couple of days of practice. And you know, actually, before we get into the recruiting, the, the practice was interesting because it's, it's mostly for the younger guys. And James Franklin talked about this a little bit um, on Tuesday. We saw a little bit of the, the non-travel scrimmage, which didn't really show us a ton, but it's a chance for – Guys like Journey Brown to get out there. Those freshman receivers, I know those are your boys. Um, <laughs> they, they caught some passes, and, and you get some some you know cultivated depth, I guess, because you're not get, you're not going to play these guys in the game. Um, you're not going to have them take somebody else's job this week, but to get them reps is, is pretty important. And and Franklin talked about that uh, sort of building the program. It's another step that they get to take. And and a couple of years ago, they didn't have that luxury. Yeah, and I think it breaks up the potential monotony that you can get from going up against the first team guy. Guys and realizing that you're the scout team and, and that can you know start to wear you down over the course of a year. By the way, Franklin had a lot of positive things to say about the scout team um, this week in practice. We can talk about that a little later. But I think for that general, you know, uh, the bye week scrimmage, which we got a very brief glimpse of. But yeah, CJ uh, Holmes out there, former Notre Dame running back. We've had a chance to see him in, in some settings. But um, I think it's good. It gets those juices flowing. It, it, they know that a lot is at stake as they try to kind of, uh, you know, elbow other guys out their positions and, and, and make their case not just for this season, but really next year and beyond. And um, I think it was interesting to, to see all those guys. It always is fun because uh, so often, you know, they're very much away from the spotlight as we march on into the season. Yeah, and we didn't see a ton of changes or anything when we were at practice this week. I, a couple of notes, Alex Gellerstead took a step up from the practice squad. He's now at, the, at left tackle with the varsity squad. Rasheed Walker went from the varsity down to the, the, the foreign team this week. So, I mean, not a ton of changes, but the opportunity is there for those guys to step up and and, and move around a little bit lower, um, you know, further down on the depth chart. So uh, that's basically what, what what we've been watching for the last week. Um, I, I do know everyone does want to hear about the Hamlers and the McSorleys and the Sanders. Those are the guys who are going to make the impact Saturday. Yeah, see, I don't know about that. Everybody wants to hear about <laughs> these other guys. You might be that, right. That's been a fascination for, you know, and I've been doing this since 2006. And, and at that point, 
you know, it was all it was all talking about the starters. It was all talking about mm-hmm. the quarterback and everything like that. But the, the sort of that fascination as people got to know these guys as recruits, as people got to realize what the you know what the impact could be a couple of years from now, there was more interest in that. Yeah. Now, now when you go out and you listen to media day, you know, you're asking these starters who are the young guys to watch because I think that's really what people want to hear about. And you know, that's that's something that's been really positive for us over the years is we've gotten to know these guys and and we've you know sort of introduced these recruits as rec- or these players as recruits yeah. and they've sort of built themselves up and and when they're successful you you feel a little bit like uh not not you and I but you feel like you know the guy that you know the story behind the success and it, it really makes you feel better about following the team as close as, as a lot of you guys do yeah those recruiting writers really set a, a high bar That's for basically where it all starts <laughs> it is though I mean and I think that that kind of goes into what I was going to speak on um James Franklin on Wednesday evening uh, he said that Tuesday was the best practice of his four-year tenure, Sean, um, you know, dating back to 2014, now season number five. Um, and, you know, just earlier in the week, we heard the same thing from Trace McSorley saying it was the best practice of the season. Uh, I think it was Mark Brennan who asked, well, why? Why was it the best to Franklin? And he went right to the scout team. And he made a great point that I think some people overlook with recruiting just because these guys aren't playing right away. They're still very talented. There's a reason they were highly rated, highly coveted, highly offered. And, you know, Jason Oway. Judge Culpepper, Trent Gordon, Will Levis, Zach Kuntz. Uh, these are all guys who came in as you know top prospects, uh, a lot of offers on the table, and here they are trying to help Penn State prepare for Michigan State. And, and then later on, Iowa, Michigan, Wisconsin, James Franklin kind of referenced the earlier stages of his time in Happy Valley saying it was really tough to get the scout team to play up to a level that could really truly mimic what they might see on the football field in terms of athleticism, physicality. Steadily, that has become less of an issue. And this year especially, Tuesday particularly, the scout team shined apparently. And then the answer from the first teamers and second teamers was also positive. Um, And so they're on a good spot right now when you look at personnel development. And I think that's something that we all got to pay a little bit of attention to. And like you said, a lot of people are interested in that. Clearly, that's a good sign for for the future of this program that the scout team is developing because when your fourth teamers are blue chip, you know, recruits and they're getting better and challenging your starters, uh, that bodes well for just long term success. You're, you're going to analyze this seriously, and I'm I'm thinking here <laughs> to myself: if I write a story about Trace McSorley, fine, but if I write a story about Sean Clifford. Probably twice as many people are going to click on it. Same thing, uh, Nick Scott and Jonathan Sutherland on the other side. You know, it's just the, the the relative unknown, and it's probably part of why some of these guys are. You know, you're so quick to call not not so much for McSorley, but you're so quick to call for their backup to come right. in, even though their backup's not better than them, as you know, as as evidenced by the, the reps. But it's just a funny thing to me, just to watch over the last five or ten years how much this has changed. Well, we started talking recruiting and we got away from that, and that's my bad. But uh, yeah, huge weekend for the for the staff in terms of getting out and being seen. It's a it's a really sort of awkward part in the calendar where you're evaluating these guys and I'm using hand quotes right now that you can't see you're evaluating these guys you're not sitting them down you're not going in home with them that'll happen after the season you're not talking to them but you're seeing their coach you're out there on the practice field or you're out there on the sidelines of the game field um, just to just to be noticed basically and that's it's crazy to think about and crazy to think how many miles put in I, I mean I wrote the story earlier in the week Terry Smith put in well over you know close I think it was 4,700 miles close to 5,000 miles and 
flights this week, going to Dallas to see Lewis Seen, who has since committed to Georgia, going to Phoenix to see Noah Pola Gates, and then flying back to Connecticut and then back to State College. It's just it, it's a crazy grind when you think about it. Just some of these flights. Ricky Ronnie was in Denver on one day, and then Oregon the next, and then back to State College, and they, they had a staff meeting at two o'clock on Sunday afternoon. So all these coaches had to be back. James Franklin was all over the place. A little different with Franklin. He get, he gets to use the private plane. The the assistants don't unless they're traveling with him, which is you know it's kind of hit and miss. I mean, I think uh, if you look across college football, it's kind of depends on the program that you're looking at. Uh, you know, Alabama will use the private plane to recruit uh, for their assistants, but Penn State goes commercial for theirs. And this doesn't matter. It's just kind of what I think about because I'm a crazy person. Um, but uh, no, it's just it, it's insane to think about the, the miles logged. James Franklin all over the place. Um, you know, he was down in Virginia on Friday, then flew to Jersey to watch Taquan Roberson on. On Friday night, uh, was in Scranton on Saturday to watch uh, Anthony Wigan and and Jaquan Brisker. And then he went to Princeton to see Caden Wallace, and then he went to the Bronx to see J, uh, uh, Jared Harrison Hunt. Just it's crazy to think how you got to be on your game that entire time. And we know Franklin can do it. I mean, we, I talked to Brian Doan, who was at Roberson's game, and, and Franklin's there taking pictures with people and talking to people and remembering names and all that kind of stuff, which is crazy. Um, but it, you got to be on all the time if you're these coaches. And, and for your week off, to have to be on, that's a, that's a lot on those guys. James Franklin does not miss an opportunity to impress. Uh, and you know, the, the night before the Ohio State game, I was there on the same sideline. He was watching Keaton Ellis. Keaton Ellis didn't play for the final two and a half quarters. He was pretty much there the entire game, you know, just taking pictures, as you said, being visible. And it is about the presence. Uh, you know, it's not sitting down in the living room, mom and dad, that'll come later, like you like you mentioned. This is about showing that national reach, that you can, you know, be there on different parts of recruiting turf, um, you know, places that you are trying to carve out pipelines, uh, places that you're really trying to, to just get there for the first time and start hitting home runs. And then other spots where you've had a lot of success. New Jersey's a prime example. And by the way, Taquan Roberson, in that game that, that Franklin attended, 21 of 29 passing for 340 yards, five touchdowns. And, and he couldn't run. He got an, yeah, and he's, he's got an ankle and sprain. And he he's couldn't he's run. Not so. at 100%. So nice little uh, indication of, of the future quarterback play there in front of James Franklin. But I thought it was a, a nice little, you know, kind of tongue-in-cheek joke from, from James Franklin last week when there wasn't a lot to joke about. Everyone was pretty serious going to the practice field last Wednesday. And he said, you know, the first thing he did about, you know, 36, 48 hours after this Penn State, Ohio State game, get on a jet, go to Columbus. And he said, probably the last place I want to be, but it's also right where you'll find Zach Harrison. Yeah, and Zach Harrison going to Michigan this weekend for, for an unofficial visit. I'm sure he'll circle back around and go down the road to to the uh, to Ohio Stadium to catch the Buckeyes at some point as well. Um, that one is is certainly coming down to those three schools, including Penn State, where he was last weekend. Um, but some some big trips. I mean, Lewis is off the board, um, but you, I guess Noah Polagate steps up. He's probably your top target at safety. Just had him on for an official visit, going head-to-head with Alabama. And you never know where Alabama is going to be at in terms of space, but I think Penn State did a, did a good job on his official visit last week. Uh, a lot of family aspect there. Of course, his uncle or great uncle, um, he calls him his uncle, Al Pola, um, played at Penn State, or Al Palomalo played at Penn State. Um, so it's um, it, 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 you, you just get there, you be, you be seen. Tim Banks and Terry Smith were out in Phoenix and then split their way. Tim Banks went back to D.C. Terry Smith went to Connecticut. Franklin, I guess, started his trip on Thursday, um, going down to Baltimore with Sean Spencer to see Devon Ellis. From there, went and saw the top prospect in 2020, Brian Brezzi, who was on campus last weekend as well. Um, then back down in D.C., that D.C. area in 2020, 
so loaded. Ooh, and yeah. it, I mean, we've talked about the St. John's College guys. Of course, DeMath is always there. Good Council is always there. Gonzaga has a good team. National Christian has has a couple guys with Penn State offers and just sort of trickles down to, to Northern Virginia. Penn State stopped by Woodbridge to see Antoine Sampa, a five-star linebacker. And then, of course, Devin Ford is there. Um, and then down into the Richmond area where you've got Chris Tyree, of course, Brandon Smith down there as well. So, I mean, just kind of knocking these visits out over and over, um, you know, I, I think it does tend to pay off. You're not going to get a commitment out of out of a trip like this, but it um, to, to be out and be seen when when your team is not playing that weekend keeps yourself fresh in the mind. And a lot of these guys, you know, Sampa, Tyree, um, the, the commitments, and, and Brezzi were all on campus a, a week ago. So keep keep fresh in the minds, and I think it'll pay off. Keyword at the end of these recruitments, a lot of the time when we when we finally get on the phone and talk about the aftermath and why the commitment was made instead of speculating about the commitment, I'm sure you've heard this all. And consistency. It's a key word you hear from recruits. You know, they, they, they were consistent. They always showed up when they were able to. They put in the time to call me. They put in the time to get to my school. And this is further evidence of putting in that kind of groundwork that it takes. You know, people say, well, this is crazy. You know, they're logging all these miles. You know, these kids aren't even committing. Some of them can't even sign with the team for two or three more years. Uh, but this is reality of modern college football. And this is how you, you know, it's, it's an arms race. It's an arms race across college football. If you want to go great to elite, which is the mantra now. These are exactly the kind of steps you need to make. And, and I will say one thing that stood out, Devon Ellie, is that visit. I, I know that's that's P.J. Mustafer's there. Um, you've got a couple guys you're looking Curtis at there. there. Um, but I think as we continue to look through the defensive line, uh, he's somebody that I think has gone a little bit under the radar. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, defensive tackle has become a big need. I mean, you know you know what Penn State has on the roster. They're not scheduled to lose anybody after this season. Um, but uh, defensive tackle just hasn't been there. You, you've got some young guys with some talent. You've got some young guys that need some seasoning. And, and so far, you know, the results have, have, have sort of come up a little bit short. So still looking at defensive tackle, still looking at defensive end. Of course, Adisa Isaac and Harrison still out there. Penn State went and saw Smith Vilbert in North uh, Jersey the other night, who's a guy that really, really intriguing, about 6'6", basketball player, um, going to be raw as hell. But, I mean, that's basically what you're looking for sometimes because uh, the athletic potential sort of outweighs, um, you know, the, the the protection for a 6'2 defensive end versus a 6'6 six, six defensive end. So, um, so that's been interesting. Uh, a couple of assistant trips. And, and just going back to the miles, I mean, David Corley going to Houston to see Jalen Curry, uh, Jaywan Sider missing practice on Wednesday to go to IMG to see Noah Kane and then got into his wheelhouse in South Florida and then came back up to Richmond to see um, some guys in, in his territory in Virginia. Tyler Bowen for uh, going to the Northeast, going to Boston, the Boston area and then flying to uh, D.C. and then going to uh, the far reaches of West Virginia to see Brenton Strange and Darnell Wright. I mean, just all over the place this week. So, I mean, I was exhausted tracking them. So I assume that they would be, you know, up that same tree, uh, just following these guys around. I think the Penn State Athletic Department put the bill for a lot of coffee uh, last week. But, yeah, credit to those guys for for going out there and hitting hard while a lot of us were getting R&R. Uh, you know, quite frankly, they do get paid a little bit more than you and I. So you know, that's true. Yeah, got, you, know, you, you tend to forget about that. Um, but but uh, yeah, and I think it was worth noting, and, and you hit on this a lot of commitments. I think you noted fourteen of seventeen commitments were paid visits, and that's huge. Yeah, and and they've already seen Keaton Ellis. They went and saw Joey Porter um, whenever uh, Penn, you know whenever Penn State was out at Pittsburgh. They they evaluated him out there, and I think Lance Dixon was the last guy. And I assume when they go out to Michigan, they'll see him um, in in a game that weekend. So um, getting beyond that. 
that. Um, Penn State, Michigan State. We're going to get into the game in a little bit, but this is a this is an interesting take, and I know it's a little bit before when you started covering Penn State. You were a Bleacher Report at the time, but Penn State, Michigan State recruiting oh, about three years ago, two, two, three years ago, was pretty nasty. I mean, this was a, a situation where Michigan State, of course, had, had a little bit more momentum. Penn State didn't have close to the momentum that, that they had back in 2015, and you know, Michigan State kind of wiped the floor with Penn State, and uh, you know, it's sort of cut off into this this spiral. Uh, Michigan State went hard after Miles Sanders. Penn State, well, of course, went hard after guys like Josh King, who's no longer at Michigan State. Donnie Corley, no longer at Michigan State. Demetri Vance, no longer at Michigan State. And Daniel Joseph is, is at Penn State. It, it got pretty, pretty nuts. I mean, uh, it was a situation where um, I think Pat Narduzzi was at Pitt to, to start, but you know, of course, he's still close with with Mark D'Antonio. So, just kind of crazy to, to look at these rosters and see the familiar names. There's a lot of overlap considering Penn State has made Michigan a priority in the last couple of years. And if you look at Penn State's roster, not a ton of Michigan influence right now, but K.J. Hamler. I mean, if you're Michigan State, that's one that stings. Donovan Johnson, whom they didn't really go after hard at all, that's going to be, I think, one that stings eventually. Um, Johnson, of course, still a a redshirt freshman. But, you know, a lot of familiar names on that Michigan State uh, roster as well. Justin Lane plays corner for them, probably would have been a wide receiver at Penn State. Callan Gervin. Cam Chambers, I think, is really interesting. He's from South, uh, excuse me, South, South Jersey. Jersey, sir. South, the, the South Florida <laughs> of Jersey, sorry. Um, but uh, that's one of my favorite recruiting stories. Cam Chambers came to camp under Bill O'Brien and wouldn't run a 40. And and, and Bill O'Brien, you know, uh, Bill, very no-nonsense guy, says, if you're not going to run a 40, we're not going to offer you. And you can go home now if you want. Still didn't run a 40. Ended up not getting an offer from Penn State. Chambers was a, uh, a South Jersey kid. I believe went to St. Joe's Prep and then ended up at Timber Creek. Or Timber Creek. Timber yep. Creek, yeah. Um, so that's just a, a funny thing when I think of Cam Chambers. Uh, I think the biggest difference um, is the Panasuk brothers. Uh, Matt and Jacob – or excuse me, Mike and Jacob. Penn State was on Mike very early. Um, they went to um, North Central College, I believe it was, in Chicago, did the camp, and that was sort of centered around. They went to the camp for, for him. They went to uh, North Carolina to talk to Christian Cologne, and you know nothing really seemed to come together with defensive tackle recruiting that year, and I think Penn State's sort of feeling the effects of that. But Mike Panasuk was very important. Uh, Jacob, his younger brother, I don't think is as good, but those those guys are, are guys that are the centerpiece of Michigan State's defense, and I'm sure Penn State would love to have them. Matt Dotson, um, was a quarterback very close with Sean Clifford uh, from the Cincinnati area. You know, very outward about favoring Penn State at one point, and then that seemed to t- turn on a dime. And you know, he ended up at Michigan State. Guys like Ray- uh, Raquan Williams, uh, Naquan Jones, big defensive tackles in that 2016. That 2016 class. Um, if you look at Michigan State's commitment list, had which, a lot of promise. Oh yeah, so uh, had a lot of talent. Yeah, yeah, had a lot of talent. We mentioned Josh King earlier, um, but uh, that defensive line class, I believe Austin Robert or Roberson was in there as well. He's got Donnie Corley looked like a superstar. Donnie Corley should have been a superstar. Yeah. He and Demetri Vance got into a lot of trouble and, and they're no longer there. But just, it, I think it kind of puts Michigan State where they're at right now. If you look back at that 2016 class, ton of talent, ton of promise, just didn't pan out for, for one reason or another, most of it off the field issues. And I think that's sort of a microcosm of where they stand right now because they're certainly not hitting on all cylinders on the field. And that's compounded by, which we'll speak about in a bit, injuries are, are really hurting this team. And that's exactly where if you had the reinforcements, some younger guys, the depth, you know, that's where it hurts you in a big way. I do remember this first time I spoke with KJ Hamler, I want to say spring of 2016 um, at one of those Nike camps. 
he said, you know, there, it, Penn State was in the mix. Oregon was a team he was very interested in. Arizona as well. Um, but Michigan State was the team that he had probably the most rapport with because of the proximity for him before he went to IMG Academy for his senior year down down in Florida. Obviously, he was one of the premier players in Michigan. And at that time, um, even though he had Sean Clifford tapping him on the shoulder in, in that circumstance, um, K.J. Hamler sounded like a guy who may end up at Michigan State. I think he's now primed for a big game against them. And, you know, continuing to look at this group, I do remember, uh, and I believe he actually committed with a Bleacher Report video, Matt Dotson uh, going to Michigan State. He was a guy that, that was pretty impressive coming out of high school. I don't think Penn State fans would trade the tight end situation they have right now for Matt Dotson. But, yeah, this is a second straight game that Penn State and the opponent have crossed a lot of familiar paths on the recruiting trail. We'll say the same thing again when Penn State heads up to uh, Michigan in November. Yeah, and, and Michigan State tried to make a, a late run at Miles Sanders as the pit, just kind of a, a crazy little uh, three-way there between you know D'Antonio, Narduzzi, and Franklin, and and Penn State ended up signing uh, Sanders at the end, but it was it, it got it got pretty testy at some point. Um, the injury report for Michigan State, you mentioned it before. We're not going to read it because it is really long. It's I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on for the for the Spartans. Lost their punter for the season. Uh, lost a, a couple of guys that they knew weren't going to have for the season. Tyson Smith is out recovering from a stroke, of course. And uh, beyond that, I mean, there's just a lot of question marks and at some key positions for Michigan State. Yeah, and the offensive line is where you point to first because this feels like a game where Penn State's going to be able to apply pressure on quarterback Brian Lewerke. They're at six different offensive line groups now uh, in the sixth game. So it'll be a different look every time. That's not Penn, ideal. No, and I mean, Penn State, you had you had a little bit of rotation there early in the year with Chaz Wright and Will Fry's at right tackle, but it's been steady. It's been the same group. That's huge. Michigan State's in the opposite end of the spectrum. They're now without their left guard and David Beadle. He got banged up in the last game. And then all, elsewhere on offense, one of their premier weapons, a guy who had 20 catches for 300 yards, a couple touchdowns in September, Cody White with a broken left hand. That happened in their final game of September against Central Michigan. He's not there. They've still got some weapons around Lewerke, but I think it's very clear that as much pressure is pointed on this quarterback right now because he hasn't made that step from statistics and, and from the win standpoint. There are a lot of moving parts in front of him, around him. LJ Scott in the backfield. We don't know if he'll be available. If he is, we don't know how healthy he'll be. He's been hit or miss. The run game struggled. But, uh, yeah, injuries have played a big role. It's not just a, a complete underperformance for the entire team. Injuries have been an issue for them. Yeah, it's been inconsistency and injuries, I would yeah. say. I mean, you, they had the, the close win against Utah State to open the season, and, and you thought maybe that was just opening season jitters. Of course, Penn State, Appalachian State, was still <clears throat> rolling right now. They, they played the other night and beat Arkansas State pretty handily. Um, but uh, you thought that they were going to kick it in and, and kick it into high gear, and they, they really haven't. Lost to Northwest last week um, really got taken out of their game Lewerke had to throw 51 times so I mean there's uh, just a it's a team I'm not sure what that was but uh, it's a team <laughs> that really just kind of they, they don't really have the identity that they want to have right now they've got some talent they've got some players and across the board I mean that, that run defense is going to be solid uh, pretty much any time that you play Mark D'Antonio but really just it's so far very disappointing um, on the other side the injury report I think a little bit clearer on Penn State of course there is no injury report but Shane Simmons back in practice KJ Hamler who was knocked out of the Ohio State game he was back in practice still 
question marks about Donovan Johnson and Ellison Jordan, but for the most part, you know, fairly healthy coming out of the bye week. Healthier than they were in week one, safe to say. I mean, across the board, obviously, uh, from a percentage standpoint of, of where guys are, you know, because they're banged up here, they're, they're you know, dealing with all sorts of injuries that come game to game. That's the wear and tear of a season, but they have the availability across this roster that they really haven't had, I think, especially on the defensive front. It's an evolving group um, because you've got C.J. Thorpe, who I think at the very least is intriguing in his move to defensive tackle and how quickly they felt comfortable getting him on the football field, whether you feel like that's more of a statement about the other defensive tackles who are behind Robert Windsor and Kevin Givens, or if you feel that C.J. Thorpe may be that kind of a special prospect. He's now had two weeks to work on a a new craft, a new position, the intricacies that he's going to have to learn. The get-off is completely different on the other side of the football, as Franklin mentioned this week. Um, and as excited as they are about him being a potential long-term offensive lineman, feels like he could be a central figure in this rotation. And, of course, Shane Simmons coming back. First appearance this year. He's up at 250 pounds. He doesn't look anything like the recruit I remember seeing on the football fields at camps in high school where he was really more of a speed rusher opposite of Chase Young down at the Matha Catholic. Now he looks like a potentially complete defensive end. He's going to be a second teamer in this game. I think you alluded to this on the site this week. Probably a pitch count in play. But as James Franklin said at his press conference Tuesday, even if you get 10 to 15 reps that are at a high level from Shane Simmons – probably puts you in a better position. It definitely puts you in a better position than where you were with that rotation in the last five weeks. Yeah, absolutely. Defensive end is a spot, ton of talent. Uh, the depth has not been there that we've we've expected to, or that we've come to expect from that group. Uh, I do agree, Simmons, you put him on a pitch count, you need him for the stretch run. So uh, you can move around. Of course, uh, and we forgot to mention Antonio Shelton out for the first yeah. half of this game thanks to the targeting penalty uh, or ejection or whatever it was it's called. Like the play that never, it was like yeah. the play that just, didn't, there was so much to talk about it. after Ohio yeah. State, Penn State that we it saw the late hit, moved on. Yeah. whatever. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think you make an interesting thing, uh, interesting point about Thorpe. I mean, he's pretty much a wrecking ball, and that's what they're using him for. I don't think anyone's you know going too in depth and stunting him and moving him around or doing anything like that. But the guy is aggressive. He he will get in fights out there, and he will <laughs> yep. take up some space. And you know, uh, you know, from what we've seen from from guys like Fred Hansard, you know, he will take up that space, but you, you don't see that pop for a guy. You know, the athletic that C.J. Thorpe has. So uh, I think it's an interesting move. I, I do expect him to stick there the rest of 2018 yeah. and then sort of reevaluate where he stands. I agree with Franklin that his future is is brighter on the offensive line, but he can give you quite a few good reps this year, and that's really what you need right now. It's an interesting situation because you talk about hey, long-term might be the better offensive guard, and maybe that's, maybe that's his best spot. But if he goes out here and he's impressive and he becomes a valued and a guy that you need at defensive tackle, at nose tackle, he's someone that's not going to move. So we'll see what happens with him. Uh, But I do think, you know, the way Nick Scott phrased it, obviously a team captain, starting safety, he's excited to have these guys back in in the mix with Simmons. But he said their infusion of these guys was good for defensive morale. He feels like they bring the juice. He feels like they bring some swagger, some confidence. Juice was his word, not mine. Um, But, yeah, they, they they do have a lot of confidence in that this defensive line rotation is perhaps the most talented it's been, and maybe gain that depth. That, that But will they use it is the question, because we didn't see them really utilize much depth against Ohio State. How restricted will reps be at the position? That's another 
interesting dynamic here moving ahead. But, yeah, there's new options there. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because Ohio State, clearly, they wanted to get their, their first-team guys out there as much as they could. And they ran out of gas. ton of snaps no for, for those guys. ton of snaps for those guys. But um, you, you look at where Penn State or what Penn State played the first month of the season. And, of course, we, we, we throw Appalachian State out of there because you weren't sure what to expect. But, you know, there was no middle ground between Pitt and Kent State and Illinois straight to Ohio State. I, I think Michigan State is a little bit of a middle ground. Michigan State has talent, but at the same time, you can spread those guys out there a little bit more. And, you know, maybe this is this. They were, what, 90 percent to 10 percent or 85 percent, 15 percent against Ohio State. If you can knock that down to 75, 25 or 70, 30 and still be effective, I think that that's probably the formula you're looking for from here on out. It, it kind of felt like something the, going from using so many guys to using so few almost felt like something you would use the week after the bye week, not the week before the bye week. But again, they knew how important this game was against Ohio State. They knew the talent that Ohio State had. They had a lot of respect for for the Buckeyes and at just about every position out there. Um, and, and they, you know, Brent Price speaking with media on the Thursday morning this week, um, you know, he said, you know, you do wrestle with it in your mind, you know. Should we have played a few more guys? But he said, Franklin said, are you in a position where you're up 12 halfway through the fourth quarter if you don't invest in those top-tier players? It, it, you know, and that's kind of the debate they're going to have to have. Where's the trust outside of those 14, 15 guys? Um, and they're going to have to figure that out, and that's something they're going to you know, start to look, look for answers against Michigan State. Um, but I would be very surprised again regardless of how deep they go, if we don't see C.J. Thorpe, because we saw him after six days at the position in the biggest moment of the biggest game of the year so far. He's had two weeks. I think we're going to see him on the field personally. So are people going to be a little bit more conflicted when Sean Spencer sends uh, Simmons yeah. and Joseph and Shelton and uh, whatever, and Hansard out there. Mustafer. Yeah, yeah. Still yell at him, but yeah. there'll be some, a little less conviction in it um, after seeing what happened to the defense against Ohio State late. Uh, Michigan State, back to them. Brian Lewerke just hasn't been – Sharp, I guess I, I would say he hasn't been himself, but the impression that I have of Brian Lewerke is is the the game he played against Penn State last year, where he was he was pretty phenomenal. Yeah. Has not been that this year. Six touchdowns, six interceptions, thirty one of fifty one last week. And you know, uh, reading some things about him from the Michigan State side of, uh, or or on you know in the Detroit papers or whatnot, just hasn't taken the bull by the horns. Hasn't been that guy that they wanted him to be. Yeah, I mean, there's there's been a regression in terms of statistics and and. Uh, you know, the one thing he's doing is completing more passes, but uh, they're not um – <laughs> The, he's not being the manager he was last year. He threw seven interceptions all season. He's thrown six already this year. We mentioned he lost one of his top targets. Obviously, that's going to hurt his impact. And the and the offensive line has been uh, pretty much a disaster from an injury standpoint. A lot of a lot of moving parts up there. Uh, but with Lewerke, it was a two game sample size. They the week before they played Penn State, uh, Michigan State lost in overtime against Northwestern last year, final week of October. He went for four uh, four hundred seventy seven yards in that game, I believe through the year then 400 against Penn State two game sample size almost 900 passing yards you know really came up in, in some clutch moments against Penn State with some with some really nice throws evading a little bit of pressure at times and you're like 
are we watching the rise of the next new Big Ten, you know, stud quarterback? And here we are, and he's really an afterthought. You know, the conversation is definitely on uh, elsewhere. And, and here in Happy Valley with Trace McSorley in Columbus with Dwayne Haskins and uh, Ryan Lewerke here, uh, he's going to have his work cut out for him against Penn State, and he's missing some weapons. And I don't necessarily see this as being his breakout moment, but at the same time, um, you know, he, he's had a lot of success last year against Penn State. Yeah, yeah, and that's the thing. I think I came on the podcast last year and, and basically said, you know, that that game that he had prior to Penn State, a bit of a fluke. You know, he's got some talent. He's got some receivers and everything, but he's not going to be the guy that beats you, and then, bam, he's the guy that comes out and beats you. So I'm not going to say that this year. I think he's he's got talent. And I think, more importantly, um, he's got a target that he can go to. Uh, Felton Davis the third was fantastic against Penn State last year. He's been really good, and basically he's been not their only weapon, but pretty much their only weapon. Yeah, and, and here's the here's the thing. Trace McSorley, his numbers have regressed on, on in the passing game, and a large part of that is because of inconsistency among his past targets. Um, but seventeen drops or something yeah, like that. Too many. And, and but he is, and we saw it against Ohio State. He is performing as a rusher at a different level right now. I mean, he is really picking his spots and reading those options well and, and, and making those decisions at a high level, producing a lot on the ground. You look at Brian Lewerke, you know, the passing stats are impressive, but the rushing stats, you know, major hit to them this year, Sean. Last year, almost 600 yards on the ground, almost five yards per carry, five scores this year, averaging 1.5 yards per carry. He's got 63 rushing yards in five games. So that tells me a lot about uh, where the offensive line is, for one, but also things are not meshing for this Michigan State uh, offense right now. And he's going to be the focal point there. He's going to be the guy who gets the you know the thrills when they come up with the big win against Penn State last year. But you know he's the guy that's getting pointed to by a lot of Michigan State fans and analysts right now as someone who hasn't made the next step that was required of him. Yeah, and you you think about Michigan State and you think about the the game manager quarterback, the Connor Cooks or Drew Stanton's or whatnot, and and the running game is what gets you there. They've had some phenomenal running backs over the year, but. Just you're just not getting it done. I think uh, under four yards a carry, LJ Scott has not played for a number of reasons. And I think injury is the official reason he's been in trouble as well and suspended indefinitely, which I'm not really sure off the top of my head where that stands. But the guys that have stepped in really just have not picked up that slack. We mentioned the offensive line, but really just not the Michigan State team that you'd expect. And I'll go back to Felton Davis the third. He was he was great against Penn State last year, but I think he was their leading rusher last week with two carries for fifty yards. Against Northwestern. So if you can take him out of the game, and I think Penn State's DBs will be tested this game, they're going to see a lot of balls coming their way. And, you know, you'd like to see a couple of picks, but uh, you got to take Felton out of the game. You got to account for him on every snap. And because and, he's he's going to do it as a runner, he's going to do it as a receiver. He may even throw a pass. He's a, he's a talented kid. There was a ton to digest uh, in East Lansing last year with that game. It would, From kickoff to, to final gun, it was almost seven hours long. There was a monsoon. There was all this, that. Felton Davis had a huge day, for those who don't remember. Uh, 12 catches, 181 yards, and a touchdown. I I checked those stats just this afternoon. I knew he had a good game. I didn't know it was that good of a game. And I do remember him moving the chains in some key situations. So, you know, this is a senior receiver. Uh, He's going to be the go-to target. I think he's got to be the guy you try to take out of the game in the passing game for Penn State. Um, And, and, you know, he's a special talent. But, you know, the issue is, for as good as that receiver is, you need to have the balance on offense to take some heat off of that 
pass game, which has not done very well. Uh, and, and the running game has been really rough. I mean, Connor Haywood, Ladarius Jefferson haven't had much room to work. They're younger guys. Um, you know, I think Hayward's averaging about four and a half yards per carry, but no one has a major sample size here. Um, you know, there's not a, a player among this group who has cracked 300 yards and it's been five games. Um, and, and LJ Scott has been the guy who at times has looked like that classic bell cow Michigan State running back that we've seen time and time again from the Spartans. And, and he's had some off field stuff. He's had some injury issues and we don't know where he stands. So I think right now this is a really good opportunity, as I said, for Penn State to turn up the heat on the worky. Uh, because I just don't see a lot of generated, you know, it, it was to say this, if Michigan State comes out and they're gashing Penn State for chunk plays like we've seen in first halves against Pitt or Illinois, that is a very, very bad sign, especially against a Michigan State team that can't run the ball. But boy, can they stop the run? Yeah, they can stop the run. And that's the, the, the formula that you get. You know, you're not sure what this Michigan State team is, but yes, they can stop the run. They can always stop the run. Can't stop the pass. And mm-hmm. you and I were talking off air a little bit about this passing game. So you just want to air it out. You want Hamler to go deep. You want to, your other guys to step up and throw the ball down the field. It's not necessarily what you want to do against this Michigan State team. Not horrible against the deep ball. It's it's you, they're giving a lot underneath, and then they're they're turning those into big plays. And Trace McSorley this week stating that upon film evaluation of Michigan State and what quarterbacks have done, he said the the most success that quarterbacks have had is just taking what you're giving those underneath routes, intermediate routes, and, and for him, you know, he said that's going to require receivers to win one-on-one matchups, and they're going to have those one-on-one matchups. And, and Trace said it's going to be about adjusting to the ball and and winning you know that last second there uh you know adjusting away from your defender um and this is a major opportunity for the passing game you know you talk about what the top five storylines from the first five weeks you're definitely going to be talking about the inconsistencies from these past targets whether it's Jawan johnson deandre tompkins brandon polk of late um just not getting steady results not getting steady catches even in key situations and it's cost them uh, across the board every game and sometimes more than others uh but i think this is an opportunity for as positive as everyone sounds about it, Jawan Johnson says he thinks they're on the right track. And I know Trace McSorley feels like they've worked on that and they're coming together. This is kind of, I think, what we see against Michigan State maybe is what we should just expect the rest of the year. I mean, if they come out, I know this is a, a team that's getting torched through the air. But if they come out and they can they can look good and they can you know avoid those drops, one is okay. Three, four, five is not good. Um, I think that's a good sign for where they are headed to the second half of their year. But if they come out, we see issues again. We see drops. We don't see receivers really taking over in one-on-one matchups. Um, and that leaves McSorley kind of hung out to dry a little bit. Then I think you might just say, well, this is what it is for the rest of the way. Michigan State's rush defense, number one in the conference by far. I mean, five, through five games, 169 yards, 33.8 yards per game. Number one in college football. Yeah, insane. Their pass defense dead last in the conference, 305.2 yards per game. That's not quite the balance you're looking for on defense. But, you know, if you're Penn State, you still got to run the football. I mean, Mm -hmm. and that's not just uh, Miles Sanders. That's also McSorley's going to keep it a few times. He was successful running against Ohio State. And I think, I do think Penn State eclipsed that 33.8 yards per carry, or excuse me, per per game. Sorry, that, that stat's so insane that I'm messing it up. Uh, 33.8 yards per game. I think Penn State easily eclipsed that and, and really can use that to set up the, the passing game because you know you can, you, can, you can burn them for chunks. Yeah, we talked about the ability to pass on this team. Let's go back to the, uh, the difficulties of running against them. I got a few numbers for you here. Uh, 
Eight straight games, Michigan State has held opponents under 100 rushing yards. Penn State, totally total juxtaposition. Eight straight games with 200 or more rushing yards. So that's an interesting clash there. And then Michigan State, the longest run they've given up through five games, a 16-yarder. They've only given up a 10-plus yard run nine times. That is the second fewest in college football. So, yeah, I think a lot of people assessing the stats, looking at this matchup, are, are pretty quick to write off Miles Sanders. But um, I think he's, he's got a lot to prove to himself. Uh, you know, the Ohio State game didn't end the way he, he wanted to do or anyone wanted it to with the ball in his hands buried in the backfield. Didn't have that big game against the Buckeyes coming off a 200-yard performance against Illinois. But this is a chance, again, for him to, to go out there and uh, show that he's a special back because special running backs are the kind of running backs who buck trends like these. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he'll have a little bit more space with the, with the run threat of McSorley and also mm-hmm. the potential for the Lion to make another appearance. <laughs> the Lion. With, people have soured on the Lion so quickly. People have soured on the Lion. And I'm telling you, they might not be wrong, but there's a middle ground here. And I think you know if they throw that touchdown to Tompkins, the Lion is fine, oh, perfectly yeah. fine. Um, I do think you need to throw him out there a little bit more than you know giving him the ball and every time he's out, every time Stevens is out there. But I think there's a place for it. And I think that they can use that further down the line. Not sure if they break it out this week, especially after sort of disaster against Ohio State. But I still think there's a, there's a place for it. And Trace McSorley said the same thing this week. I yeah, mean, you, you've got the option. You you know it's something else that you have to prepare for, and I'm sure. Michigan State is preparing for it this week and if, if it works it's it's going to work for big plays and unfortunately it did not happen against Ohio State but I still think there's a place for it and you know what you can tweet at me all you want that it's stupid and you might have some credence to that argument but no it's it, I think it's here to stay and I think uh, it's a good thing for Penn State the line uh, is here to stay it's I don't even think it's it's in danger right now of being you know scrubbed clean of the, of the playbook you know James Franklin was asked about it last week at practice a few days after that game and he said it's produced some good things for them and they're going to keep rolling with it and he pointed out the fact that it was an execution issue they feel like the design was there they felt like the preparation was, was there yeah. and when we saw it and you called it while we were watching that develop you know it, it would have been a highlight play tommy stevens uh touchdown pass totally was set up there um but trace mcsorley says it can't happen um and i think what's a good sign is when you have two quarterbacks who have been in the same quarterback room for a long time uh you know i think some people are you know wonder how tommy stevens you know feels about trace mcsorley and, and how he sees him from afar when he gets his opportunities uh, is it tough to only be out there for three or four plays at a time? McSorley said when he when they when that play failed, he took the blame. And, but the first thing Tommy Stevens said was, "I got to find a way to catch that ball." So those two are on the same page. I don't think the confidence is really uh, you know throw out the window. But as I said on the last uh, you know podcast, is it a situation where you have strictly you know a series or maybe two or, or that you want to implement Tommy Stevens? If it works, great. If it doesn't, great. It's done. Or is he someone that, as he gets more comfortable, he's now back from the injury and into the into the you know swing of things more. Is it something you kind of pepper throughout the game and kind of sprinkle in here and and have that element of surprise? Because I think a lot of people, the frustration is if he's out there for three straight plays. Uh, people have a feeling they're just going to try to force feed him, and right. it's got to go through him. Yeah, and last last week you could tell that was part of the script. I mean, that yeah. was something. It's not that, not that they were coming out scripting the first fifteen plays or whatever, but that was something they wanted to turn to early in the game, and you know it didn't work obviously. But I, I think you do pepper it throughout the game. I mean, you, you got to put him out there, put him in receiver, throw him in motion, don't give him the football, and and, and see what it does to the rest of the defense, and and sort of play off of that. Um, we've talked too much about the lion, and you got you brought it up. 
up this time. Yeah, that's all me. <laughs> uh, you guys have probably skipped ahead. Key players for Penn State. You mentioned pressure. My first guy, Shaka Tony. Um, we saw him taking reps with the ones this week. Uh, of course, Sharif Miller's still out there. Yitor Gross Matos still out there. But Shaka Tony, I think, is a guy that's quietly improved his all-around game. And I think he's in line for a potential big game where he can get to the quarterback a couple of times, especially if they're going to throw it 50 times. Yeah, he doesn't He doesn't seem like that guy that, that is kind of pigeonholed into a specific role where he's going to just rush the pasture, rush the pasture. We, we talked about Shane Simmons as well, developing into a more balanced defensive end. And we'll see if that's the case this season and starting Saturday. But yeah, Shaka Tony, I mean, great, great pointing him out. I think Kevin Givens also, considering kind of the calamity that Michigan State's interior offensive line has been, inexperienced guys, guys who are being shuffled around. We've seen him flash in some key moments. I, I thought he, he had some really nice, nice reps against Ohio State. Obviously dominated against Pitt. This feels like another game where Kevin Gibbons could be a major force, and that would open things up for, for others around him. Um, right. I think they're going to get after the quarterback any way they can. That, that's including guys like Micah Parsons and Cam Brown. And Gibbons is versatile, and I know the depth at D-tackle is not what you're looking for, but he's a guy that we've seen lined up at the 5-tech before to play mm-hmm. a little bit defensive end against the Wisconsins and the Iowas and things like that. So we're getting into that part of the season. Michigan can be in that group as well. So maybe you start to see some of that as the Big Ten schedule, the meat of the Big Ten schedule comes around i know your next guy i'm gonna let you go kj hamler uh michigan native i think uh you know he's he, he looked fine at practice the other night coming off of what we assume to be a concussion um but uh yeah i mean i think if you're looking for a breakout guy against a defense that's been leaking against the pass i mean you're going to look to penn state's most consistent threat yeah and, and first off it's um you know good to see him healthy you know coming off a hit like that and especially in today's uh you know football culture where everything is going to be extremely scrutinized i uh, want it to make maybe a head injury involved or a hit like that so glad to see him back after missing you know the last 13 minutes or so of the Ohio State game and who knows what could happen if he's available for that last drive as a kick returner as a receiver but it's huge to have him on the field and I think when we're talking about where can you exploit this Michigan State uh you know defense it is on the routes that I think KJ Hamler does his best work on I know he's got the speed but to me he's not just a go route guy where you say go fetch he's somebody where you give him a chance to get the ball in space with a stride ahead of a defender and maybe another man to beat and all of a sudden he's doing what he did to Ohio State I see something like that happening at least once or twice in this game and again I think KJ Hamler how fueled he is off of that energy that that he creates and that that excitement that he creates there are a lot of guys opposite uh, on sideline that he's going to be familiar with guys that he grew up playing against guys that he was recruited alongside just feels like this is a game where he he is always invested he's always but he's going to be if you will oh he he very may well bring the juice he always brings the juice but maybe an extra serving of it against michigan state yeah and we said it before that that drive against ohio state the last drive is completely different if if kj hamler's out there uh next up a guy that 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 took a step forward against ohio state but you know that's off of a step backward, I think, against Illinois and then a, you know, a step forward against Pitt. Cam Brown has been all over the map this year, you know, and he's been he's been pretty good. I'm mean, not going to call him an all-star or anything like that, but he's good against Ohio State. So can he sustain that? And I think that's a big thing that I'm that I'm watching this week for for a team that's going to attack you in a couple different ways, like uh, like Michigan State. Um, can Cam Brown be out and can he play in space and at the same time play, play against the run, be an effective guy against the run? I think that's a, that's an interesting matchup to watch not not sure that it's a matchup but it's an interesting development to watch if he can sustain that play because cam brown has probably been their best linebacker i mean jan johnson we talked about uh you know in in one game was was good but i mean i guess it's kind of a a different measuring stick when you look at penn state's linebackers this year but brown took a step forward last week um we'll see what what he brings to the table against michigan state this week 
Yeah, Ken, I think there's a lot of Penn State fans who are still circling the linebacker group as a question mark, and, and that includes Cam Brown. Um, but the coaching staff clearly sees it in Cam Brown. He is getting a huge, huge bulk volume of those reps at linebacker, a lot more than any of these other linebackers. Um, I think he's somebody that, that you could see implemented a bit more pursuing the quarterback uh, on Saturday. And Brent Pry, you know, touching on him, he says that uh, Cam Brown, he's seen improvement you now as much as anybody from week one to where they are now, uh, especially at linebacker. And he believes he did play his best game against Ohio State. I guess the question again becomes, he's one of those guys that you're asking to play this kind of, of, of massive amount of reps over the course of a game that hasn't been asked to do that much in his career. Um, and again, will he be ready to answer that bell? Um, you know, not not saying that he was the, the, the sole guy who was lagging at the end of the Ohio State game, but it kind of goes across the board. They're starting to invest in some of these guys who are first-year full-time starters as true first-time, as true starters with the reps they're giving them. There's no more platoons at certain spots. That's one of them. So is he ready to take on that load for the rest of the year? He sounded confident this week, and he'll be tested against Michigan State. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we've got Michael Parsons written down here. You're not really sure what to make of his season so far. Mm -hmm. Uh, He hasn't been the attacking guy that we've expected and that we've seen him do in high school. Um, So there are plenty of question marks about that as he continues to learn how to play linebacker. There's obviously obvious questions about the instincts and, you know, he's, he's been uh, fighting off blocks, not as well as some of the other guys. Um, So Parsons, I think this is a big step for him. I think the bye week could really help him out, um, get his legs under him, figure out what he's doing because that freshman wall is coming for some of these guys, including the five-star guys. Um, so I think it's going to be one of those intriguing things. I think he's going to see a lot of reps on Saturday, and we'll, we'll see how he handles that. And when we saw this major change in philosophy on, on the usage of players, we saw a lot of those younger players no longer be out on the football field. Jonathan Sutherland, Jesse Lucchetta, who we didn't see much of uh, you know, later stages of, of these recent games. But I think Micah Parsons, has, you know, he's one of those guys. Yeah, he's going to be on the yeah. football field. Um, he's essentially sharing that job with Coa Farmer. That's been the case really since the first game, um, and, and the snaps have kind of been consistent there. I think with Miles Sanders, it was kind of shocking to hear uh, from Brent Pry um, uh, when assessing Micah Parsons. He said the one thing they're looking for more out of him, and, and the one thing they think he can make a leap in is as an edge rusher. And to me, that was who he was as a prospect. There, That's exactly it. what he was. He and, went and done it. Yeah. So I mean, it's interesting because you you move him to a new position and he's got so much to think about I mean that it's really difficult to, to play on the fly like he does and as with that reckless abandon like he does when you're a freshman in your sixth game at the college level and you're trying to comprehend everything that you have for these responsibilities and duties and where you need to be and where your teammates supposed to be and everything's getting changed up right before the play but I think as things become more fluid for him that's the part of his game that we haven't seen flash you know just pummeling, you know, bowling his way through a block and pummeling a, a quarterback. And I don't want to make it sound like he's like a wrecking ball. This kid has great hands. He's got great technique as a, as a, as a pass rusher. It's a guy who can get in the backfield. So interesting to see Brent Pry point that out after a five-game sample size of where they think he can grow. And I think that's exactly where he can become an X-factor and give this defense maybe something it hasn't had, a second-level blitzer. Yeah, it's selfish. you like to see uh, Parsons go after the quarterback this week. He's He's got he's got instincts. They're not maybe not lying linebacker instincts but the way that he can find angles and get to the quarterback which we saw in the preseason as well this wasn't just high school film or anything like that we saw in the preseason him get through there get to the quarterback and do some great anticipation vision i mean part of they franklin said i think when they signed him when you got a guy who's a star running back 
oftentimes that he can probably handle himself a linebacker right. because he can, can read like that. And yeah, I mean, you're right though. He has Parsons wowed everybody and, and become the next LeVar Arrington. No, but he's played one month of football and he's played a lot of football and he hasn't necessarily been a liability and he's been out there and he's been important. Key players. This guy might have an impact on Saturday. <laughs> yeah. Trace McSorley. He's going to quarterback the football team now, but I mean, he, it, it's really one of those things. I think he, he's in line for another big stat day, but I think he's more important as a runner. We talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, he, he's going to open some things up for Miles Sanders, who we also have written down here. Um, but it, it, his importance as a decision maker back there. And, and, and we talked, I talked in the chat last week about, you know, what's the difference between trace and Tommy and Clifford as, as passers and, and Clifford and, and, and Tommy, we've, seen a little bit of have a limited sample size off so you know what time or excuse me you know what McSorley can do as a passer not so much as other guys but it's those snap decisions it's the Bingo. you know it's it, it's really just and you hate to lean on a, a buzzword like intangibles but the guy knows what he's doing before he realizes he's doing it and that's something that you can't hit excuse me something you can't teach and when they make that transition to the next quarterback that's going to be the biggest thing that's lacking it's not going to be arm strength it's not going to be accuracy it's going to be the those little decisions and that's this is a big week for him because you know he can open up the rest of the offense with his feet. Um, don't know that you want to run him twenty times or whatever he ran against Ohio State, but he can open up that offense, the running game and the passing game, with his decision making. Man, he he is just operating at a different level, and he, we know he's got that very light class schedule, and he's been spending a lot of time side by side with Ricky Ronnie. The way he describes it, you could pretty much classify him as a GA at this point with the football program uh, because he is really uh, you know. Is so in tune with what they want to do offensively, what they want to accomplish, play in, play out. And I think with Trace McSorley, um, what's been great, even though the numbers aren't as impressive from a passing standpoint as they've been, um, he is not making – he's got two interceptions. I mean, and, and he's playing with, with receivers who don't have a lot of experience in some capacities. And, and you know, he's been challenged to, to lead this team back against App State. He was challenged to do it against Ohio State. He did lead a game-winning drive in the fourth quarter on that first possession. They came up empty, um, as everyone knows by now, in the final two minutes there. Uh, but I think with Trace McSorley, you know, you just expect him to continue being who he is. And, you know, everyone wants to talk about the Heisman stuff already. It's starting to bubble up now to the surface. And Franklin was asked about it this week. And McSorley was asked about it this week. Thought it was pretty interesting. Franklin, I didn't think would touch it, uh, you know, the Heisman talk. Right. He didn't ultimately, but he started by saying, because I think the question was... Franklin had a lot of answers where he didn't actually touch the subject, but he did talk for five minutes. (laughs) Well, it was just, he he addressed it by, I think the the question was prefaced, well, does the win-loss thing matter for McSorley? You know, what do you say about his Heisman Trophy chances being hurt by a loss to Ohio State? Franklin perked up there. He felt like he had to jump in and say... Win or loss, did you all see what happened? And did you see what Trace Mix really did? If anything, right. that was a statement about he was the his Lions twenty four seven Big Ten Offensive Player of the Week. I think everybody oh, knows, that. and he was Franklin's as well. Franklin made sure that we all knew that that he was also his Big Ten Player of the Week vote. But yeah, I mean, we, we're our, running out of ways. Stuff, we're running out of ways to. to to talk about Drace McSorley, but I think – and, and uh, college football where everything is so unpredictable because you're relying on 18, 19, 20, 21-year-olds to come up big, you know, 12 Saturdays out of the year. Um, Trace McSorley is the one guy you, you think will, and, and you can kind of cross him off of your list of concerns. Um, and, of course, now things will go awry because I said that. But seriously, Trace McSorley – 
you can make a case that he is the most valuable and dependable, uh, not just quarterback, but player across college football right now. Yeah, that's that's, a, that's tough to argue with. Penn State, two touchdown favorites over Michigan State. Uh, I have, I think, Penn State winning in our fearless forecast uh, 41-20. I'm not sure off the top of my head. but uh, I think that's what you've had. I think Penn fearless. State you know, is, is in position to, uh, to, to win fairly comfortably. Obviously the, the revenge factor is there. Um, Michigan state's, uh, injury report certainly factored into that pick. Obviously a lot of talent around, uh, in green and white this week, but they're, they're probably going to be hurting to fill some spots. And, and as we saw last week, that depth is really what comes around when you're, when you're talking about top teams playing in the big 10, I still think, you know, this is a top three or four team in the big 10 East in Michigan state, uh, that, that depth is going to hurt them with those, those guys not out there. Yeah, this had the makings of a top 10 matchup before the season, and Penn State's held up their end of the bargain. And I think a lot of people are missing this. Penn State is ranked higher right now than they have been since last year when they played Michigan State. I know people will see the one loss. They're ranked higher than they were when they went into that Ohio State game. They're eighth in the AP poll. Uh, I know the college football playoff poll is the one that matters, but Michigan State has not held up their end of the bargain in this matchup. They've gone from a preseason number 11 to being on ranked right now. Uh, they struggled in the first half against Central Michigan. Uh, Utah State really took it to them. Lost uh, Herm Edwards. Yeah, lost to Herm Edwards. And, and, you know, did not look good losing to Northwestern at all. Um, So this is a team I think, you know, they're going to be motivated. They need to be motivated. They got Michigan. This could be a tailspin for them. Um, They've got Michigan next week. So if they lose this one, it could really send them in a wrong direction. They were 3-9 and two years ago. They won 10 games last year. Where, Where are they as a program? I think we have a pretty good indication of where Penn State is right now. And... I'm kind of buying into this sense of a renewed energy that that we're hearing from players and coaches. I know that's how they're going to want to present the situation coming off of a tough loss, and they're going to want to circle the wagons. It seems genuine to me, though, that this team is more confident in itself and the lessons it learned and the pain it felt. I think think the staff and the players are are ready to kind of move forward and and try to be bullies in these seven games in the Big Ten. It's not going to be easy, but I think they have a chance here. They know that it's within their grasp to go out handle business starting against Michigan State and make that case as the country's best one-loss team. And you t- see that see where yeah. it gets you. You're putting your you have to put yourself in that position where you know if you do go on the road and beat uh, beat Michigan and you beat Iowa and Wisconsin, you take care of your business. You're going to be right where you need to be at the end of the the year, even if you don't make the Big Ten title game. Michigan State pivotal game for them because they get Michigan next week at home. A um, couple of wins left on the schedule. They've got Maryland, Nebraska, and Rutgers left. Purdue might be a toss up at this point, and and they uh, host Ohio State in November. So very pivotal game when you're talking about a potential maybe. Nine and three top season versus uh, five hundred season, so it's yeah. um it's it, it's got to be a big game for them. Big game. Um, oh, not, by the way, thirty eight sixteen Penn State. Oh, right, yeah. that whole prediction thing. <laughs> um, this weekend, uh, recruits coming to the game. Not a huge week for Penn State, of course. Uh, coming off the whiteout, a lot of these kids were just up a couple of weeks ago. But the big one, man, Julian Fleming, four for four. I, you know, this has been the plan since before the season. We reported he wanted to come to the Ohio State game and the Michigan State game, and he was going to make that work. And then he pops up at the first two games as well. So four for four, man. <laughs> I think I feel like we talk about Julian Fleming every week, but as good as that kid is, it probably makes sense. I mean, he is the 
real deal and, and he keeps coming back and he's not committed yet, but it sure feels like he is very tight with players on the current roster, with the committed kids, with a lot of the 2020 targets that they want. Um, and it was pretty funny to see um, him mentioning on Twitter, I got to get to a Clemson game this year. I got to get to a Clemson game. And Michael Parsons is basically like, no, you know where you need to be on Saturdays, Beaver Stadium. And I think it's funny. Those two have established a pretty good relationship. Um, Julian Fleming speaking with him after the spring game where he had spent some time in the tunnel talking with Micah Parsons. Uh, those two can really compare notes. And, and Micah Parsons was a celebrity status kind of recruit early in his high school career. He got the, the Penn State offer as a, as a freshman. Julian Fleming got it before his sophomore year. He's in Penn State territory. A lot of fans. He's a guy that I think many of our listeners will be able to identify if they cross paths with him on the street. He's one month into his junior year of high school. Right. He's that kind of talent. There's a reason we're talking about it. You're not going to see him on a college football field for two more years, but four for four. That's a big time deal, and and I it's going to make everyone rush to the panic button when he gets on a plane or gets in his car and, and goes somewhere else. And that's the thing he's he's going to go out. He, he wants to check out Clemson. He wants to check out Georgia. Miami's on his list. Uh, Southern Cal is on his list for a game as well. I mean, and these aren't free trips until next spring, right? Right. So I think he wants to get out, and it, and if he is going to end up at Penn State, um, you know, fairly soon, and I'm talking about fairly soon by maybe what Junior Day in February or something like yeah. that. Um, he will see some of these other schools. Alabama, of course, is always going to be mentioned as well. Um, but, yeah, it's it's one of those things where he's going to get out and you're going to have to sweat through those visits. But it, Penn State's in such a good spot right now that, you know, you, you got to be feeling good if you're James Franklin. And I think with Julian Fleming, it comes down to, you know, how much does he want to capitalize on his situation? There's how many people have gotten to walk in those kind of shoes as a five-star recruit who can get on a jet and, and enjoy a long weekend at, at any campus of his choice, essentially, in the college football landscape. It is rarefied territory for Julian Fleming, and you can't blame him one bit if he wants to take this thing into the spring, enjoy those visits, get out there with his family, experience these things, see schools, talk to the coaches. Uh, but he'll always end up coming back to Pennsylvania after those trips, and that's right. the advantage in play here. Um, you know, the timeline's very tricky here. And the 2020 class in general, it could be so good, but it's all speculative at this point. Yeah, it's no, interesting. No commits in the 2020 <laughs> class. My sources are telling me they want him on board as soon as possible. I mean, that's <laughs> I don't think my that's, sources can confirm I don't your think sources. That's any sort of uh, crazy insight, but yeah, they want to get him on board, and you want to see him be the linchpin of this class. He's tight with guys like Brian Bresi. He's, he's tight with a lot of those, uh, you know, the St. John's guys, and he's just a very visible figure in the 2020 class. And I feel like we might be repeating what we've said the last like three podcasts <laughs> about him. But you get him on board and. You you can really take off then. I think Penn State's 2020 class has top five potential and possibly top three potential when you're looking at how talented the DMV area is and, and, and the surrounding areas. Pennsylvania is still not quite where you need, where you want it to be. But at the same time, um, those, those sort of uh, sub-regional places that you've had success for are, are stocked in that 2020 class. So I think it's, it, it's crazy to think about um, you know a, a kid who is, what, two months in, or a month and a half into his junior year being the linchpin for that for that class but that's the that's the reality of recruiting right now Ohio State's got a 20 a good 2020 class a lot of other schools have gotten a jump on that and you know some of these classes won't look the same in a year and a half but at the same time Julian Fleming is a guy that 
every school in the country would take in their class right now. Yeah, and and Julian Fleming is the yeah has a chance to go down as one of the most well known recruits in, in Pennsylvania history, and they just take care of business with Micah Parsons, and we know he you know made the most of his opportunity to go explore his horizons as a college football recruit, and he certainly made a lot of Penn State fans nervous about where he'd end up. He you know, he picked Penn State, uh, but yeah, Julian Fleming, you can't get him on board soon enough uh, if you're the Penn State staff, and I'm with you. I think there's a lot of players out there that would say if it's good enough for Julian Julian and he sees the right fit what else do I need to look for yeah you can't underestimate peer recruiting uh beyond that list not a not a huge list for Penn State this week 2021 athlete probably a safety or linebacker Derek Davis from Gateway um is a one of Penn State's early top 2021 targets um expecting Dante Thornton back he's been I think to three of the first four games he's an offered 2021 kid but for the most part uh, I think you're going to see guys that are on the radar but not so much the scholarship guys right now so um we'll, we'll see where that turns when Iowa comes to town in a couple of weeks um still no game time on that one but there is a game time on this one 330 big 10 network penn state will host michigan state we're up over an hour which is uh, crazy to think about um so we will let you go um this is the lions 24 7 podcast you can find us pretty much everywhere itunes spotify whatnot uh he's tyler donahue i'm sean fitz thank you for sharing the hour plus with us and we will be back early next week we'll get back into the schedule to uh to recap the the michigan state game to talk a little bit about indiana which is a 330 kick which is crazy in my mind but whatever um but uh it's the lions 24 7 podcast thanks for listening and, and we'll see you next week i got a story to tell you know that i cherish these hope it ain't too many feelings involved